descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what, is, what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord of For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Those are the very words of God. Amen? Amen. Uh, This morning we we prayed about um, the brokenness uh, in our city. And not long ago I read an article about the HIV epidemic that's happening right here in Memphis, Tennessee. In a city that's filled with poverty, uh, in a city that's filled with poor education, uh, in a city that's filled with limited access to health care, there is a a waging war um, on the epidemic of HIV virus. Uh, It's it's in our city and there is a huge percentage, some 60%, uh, of African Americans who are being affected by this, and it's no wonder um, that it's affecting black folks in a huge way. In particular, the, st- the, statistics, the, the statistics in uh, black community are they're scary to say the least. But in 2006 to 2010, there were over 2,049 new cases of HIV reported, and 90% of those um, were th- that of black folks. What's sad is most of folks um, who realize that they have the HIV virus, they then go and they get some meds, right? A cocktail of meds of sorts. And they begin taking these meds in droves and all to find out that it makes them incredibly sick to their stomach and nauseous. And so now they have this dilemma. If I take the meds, I'm, I'm nauseous and I'm sick. If I don't take the meds, I feel fine. And many of them abort the meds and live a perfectly healthy life for years. All to find out that the virus is literally eating away um, their, their system. 
on the inside. And the reality is, when we look at this text this morning, we're going to find out what Paul is speaking to is that the Jews have this, this deadly virus that it's more deadly than the HIV virus called sin. They have this virus on the inside of them and the Jews have literally been forsaking the only solution to this deadly virus called sin that they have. His name is Jesus and they have forsaken Him. And what Paul is going to show us is that if they really desire a true solution, if they really desire to be saved from this illness, they will find their hope and their identity in Jesus. Let me give you the blueprint for where we're going this morning. I want us to take notice of four ideas. First, I want us to see that salvation is only by faith in Jesus. Secondly, salvation is not unobtainable. It's near us. Thirdly, I want us to see that salvation is for all willing to admit they're not Lord. Last, salvation is good news to be declared. I want to speak from the subject, saved. But before we dive in, let's pray. Father, would you be present with us this morning? Father, we need you to do what only you can do. And would you speak to us? Would you have your way in our hearts? Would you draw us closer to you this morning? Would you open our eyes Would you open our ears to all that you have to show us and all that you have to say to us? Father, I pray that you would do work in us this morning. Would you be present here with us? Move me aside and I pray that you would speak to us this morning. Would you have your way? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Last week, um, Richard did the heavy lifting of Romans chapter 9. And we saw... One of the primary things we saw is that there is nothing outside of the scope of God. And we saw that God is sovereign, which means He can do whatever He desires to do. He's in control of all things. And we saw things like, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. All of which points us to the reality and the big picture in Romans chapter 9 that God is in control. He's in control of all things. And this week we see a different picture. But before we jump in, look at verse 9 with me. Paul says this, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Here is a guy in Paul who in Romans chapter 9 we just saw he is a man who firmly believes in the doctrine of election, predestination, um, that some are chosen. He believes firmly in those doctrines. But yet when we begin Romans chapter 10, the very first thing out of Paul's mouth is what we just saw here in Romans chapter 9. He says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. See, Paul had this burden that people who didn't know Jesus would come to know Him. 
Paul not only had a burden, but he labored in prayer that those who were lost would come to saving faith in Jesus. And I want to ask you this morning, does your doctrine get in the way of your persistent prayer to God for the lost? And the reality is, Paul says, God, I know that you are sovereign. I know that you are in control of all things. But even still, my heart breaks for those who are lost. Even still, God, my my heart breaks. I am burdened for those who do not have a relationship with you. I'm burdened so much so that I'm going to pray for them. Do you see that? And so many of us, we, we see and we soak in these heavy weighted doctrines and we, we soak in them all so that we can puff ourselves up. And Paul saw these doctrines and he understood that God was in control of all things. And because of that, he was burdened. He was burdened to pray. He was burdened for the lost. And i got to ask you this morning, do you have that same burden for those who don't know Jesus? Are you burdened for the people who you work with? Are, the, are you burdened for the people who you live on the same block with or who you go to school with? Are, are you seeing things in the Word of God which causes you to be burdened for those who don't know Jesus? Paul was. Paul understood the doctrine of election and predestination and he understood very well the sovereignty of God but yet he still had a heart to pray for those who did not know Jesus. And he longed for them to come to saving faith. He says, my heart's desire and prayer is that they would be saved. That they would know Him. One of the primary ideas Paul wants us to see is that salvation is by faith in Jesus. Salvation is by faith in Jesus. Look back at the end of Romans chapter 9, verses 30 through 32. This is going to help us a bit. Paul writes, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. Do you see that? Also look at Romans 10, verse 3 and 4 with me. It says it this way, Being ignorant of the righteousness of God, And seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Do you see this? See, Paul is reminding the Jewish religious elite where their real righteousness comes from. And you got to understand, here are... Um, the, 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 the religious elite that Paul is speaking to, these are people who go to the synagogue on a regular basis. These are people who are well versed in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And some would even say that they have memorized them. They know the Bible, they go to church. These are people who, in, in all a sense of the matter, they have it together, right? And Paul says to them in so many words... You have no clue. 
I know you go to your little Bible study. I, I know you go to the synagogue and you are well versed in the scriptures. But Paul says, you have no clue. Why? Because you are attaining your righteousness based on the things that you know. You think that you are gaining righteousness by what you know and not who you know. And Paul is dismantling their ideas of how righteousness comes. Over and over again, Paul, in the letter to the Romans, he lifts up this idea that the, uh, that the Jews were attempting to perform their way into good graces with God. Yet Paul tells them that God is not a God of performance. Rather, He is a God of faith. That's why, he keep, that's why we keep going back to the thesis of the book of Romans, which is Romans 1, 16 through 16 It says it this way, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in, the righteousness, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, get this, The righteous shall live by faith. Not performance. The righteous shall live by faith and not church going. The righteous shall live by faith and not Bible reading. All of those things are great. But the Jews in this sense, Paul knew that they were trying to perform their way into good graces with God. Paul says, not so fast. The only way that you can get into good graces with God is that you be a person who, who lives by faith. The essence of the gospel is just that. It is that Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary what we could never begin to do for ourselves. The, the essence of the gospel says the Jews nor the Greeks could ever be good enough. Which means they could never perform their way into good graces with God. No matter how much of the law they knew, no matter how much of going to the synagogue they did, they could never perform their way into being more acceptable to God. Which is why they, they needed Jesus. And in that same gospel is the very righteousness of God through Jesus. I want to tell you downtown this morning, that, that same thing that goes for the Jews goes for us this morning. That there is no performing our way into good graces with God. Our faith must be in the righteousness of Christ alone and nothing else. Our faith cannot be in our virginity. Our faith cannot be in conquering our demons, conquering our addictions. Our faith must be in the righteousness of Christ and Christ alone. For He is our source. It's like um, track and field, right? So, you know, uh, in, in track and field, I love the Summer Olympics because of track and field. Um, but most major track and field meets, there is a qualifying meet, right? Uh, so, you've got this qualifying meet, and you don't have to run as fast as you can. But in this qualifying meet, you've you, you got to do well enough. To, you have to perform well enough to get into the major race, right? And so if you don't perform well enough in this qualifying meet, you don't get to the major event. 
And what Paul is saying is this is not some race. He's saying you cannot perform yourself into the main event of salvation. What he's saying is, is Jesus has qualified for you and I. Jesus has went before us and He has made the qualification for us on our behalf. He stood in our place. He stood for our sin. Jesus took the weight of our sin, the weight of our burden, our guilt, our shame upon Himself. He made the qualification for us. And we no longer have to qualify. We no longer have to perform. Jesus says, the only way that you get to the major race, the only way that you get to the proverbial major race of salvation, is if you accept, if you put faith in my qualification for you, in His death, in His burial, and in His resurrection. That's what Paul is saying. Secondly, We need to see that salvation is not unobtainable. Rather, it's near us. It's near us. Look at verses 5 through 8. It says this, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by faith. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. I love this. Because Paul, in this case, he is speaking to people who know the law very well. And so Paul literally quotes the Old Testament to them to trump their idea of how to gain grace. And Paul uses the law against them. He uses the very law that they treasure. He uses the very law that they hold in such a high regard to make a case that God always accepts people through grace. And the idea is that nobody is able to go to heaven to bring Christ down. And nobody is able to go below the sea to resurrect Christ. It is impossible to do those things. But accepting and believing the gospel is not impossible. Paul is letting us know that it's not impossible. It's, it's very much near us. Deuteronomy 30 helps us with this. Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14. It clarifies what Paul is saying here in our passage. It says this. It says, For this command that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is, get this, very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Paul's point here is that the word of faith, the gospel of your and my salvation, is not some far off idea. It's not something that is too lofty. It's not something that is way out of our league. But the gospel and the word of faith is near you and I. And it's available for us to believe in and to trust in and to put all of our hope in. The gospel is not out of our reach. That's what Paul is telling us. 
It's not some lofty ideal that we cannot reach or we cannot attain. Paul says, believe in Jesus and it is near you. It's in your mouth and it is in your heart. It's for you. The gospel is available for you today. The good news of Jesus is available for us this morning. Um, Memphis drivers are crazy. Memphis, somebody said amen. Yes. Memphis drivers are nuts. Um, you know, people don't use blinkers. Um, people just kind of get over, swerve over whenever they want to. Um, I'm so thankful, though, for the little side mirrors. You can actually see what's happening on your left and your on your right. And in those side mirrors has the words, what does it say? Objects are closer than they really appear, right? Objects in a mirror are closer than they really appear. And some of us, some of you Memphis drivers need to know that this morning. Those objects are closer than they appear. Um, So stop driving like that. No. The idea here is, that's what Paul wants us to see this morning. That the gospel is very real. It's closer than it appears. And some of us have over and over again, just like the Jews, just like the religious elite, we try to do things to perform our way into the good graces of God when the gospel that lifts those burdens of the law, it's very real for us. It's available for us. What Paul is saying is, Believe the gospel if you want those heavy weights lifted up off your shoulders. Because Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's near. It's close to us. It's available for us. Thirdly, we need to know that salvation is for all willing to admit that they're not Lord. Salvation is for all willing to admit that they're not Lord. Verse 4 says this, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to get this everyone who believes. Romans 10, 9-13 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, get this, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want you to see this idea of belief and confession. It points to there being this this exterior response and this interior response as well. So we have this interior response. We believe in our hearts and our hearts govern our actions and we confess with our mouths exterior. So there's both of these working at the same time. And so often, how many of us say with our mouths that we believe but in our heart we do everything but? How many of us say with our mouths that we believe and that Jesus is our Lord, but our hearts have not changed because we do and we live in ways 
that are in contrast to what the Scriptures would tell us we should live and do. Paul's saying there should be an alignment with the inside and the outside in the same breath. I love that Paul doesn't say just believe and leave it there. I love that Paul doesn't say just believe. Paul tells us that what we believe in is extremely important. He tells us not only to confess with our mouths, but to believe with our hearts, uh, to believe in our hearts. What does he tell us to believe? He tells us to believe, to confess with our mouths, and to believe with our hearts that God really did raise Jesus from the dead. He tells us to believe in the resurrection. But before that, he says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And that's an enormous confession. What he's saying there is confess the deity of Christ. Confess that Jesus really is God. It's not just that we're believing something. But it's what we believe in that really matters. That Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is God. Because if Jesus is not God, Jesus cannot atone for our brokenness and our sin. If Jesus is not God, His death means nothing. If Jesus is not God, His burial means nothing. If Jesus is not God, His resurrection means nothing. That's why Paul says, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. I love what 1 Corinthians 12.3 says. 1 Corinthians 12.3 says it this way. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, get this, Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. What's the idea there? The idea is that you didn't just come up with this idea that Jesus is God. You didn't just come up with this idea on your own that Jesus is Lord. Your eyes were opened by the Holy Spirit to declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And do you see how what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 9 and what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 10, they're not different things. They're one and the same. They're inextricably tied together. Paul says God is sovereign. Then Paul says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you can only do that if your heart and your eyes are open by the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? And in both cases, Jesus, God, is still in control. But yet, Paul is still showing us that we have some responsibility. We we got a foot in the game. He's telling us to confess, to actively confess with our mouth and to believe with our heart. But I love what Paul says. He directs us to the weight of the resurrection. He directs us to the weight of the resurrection. Paul doesn't believe in some dead martyr, but he does believe in a living Savior. He believes in the reality that yes, 
Christ came and He came in the form of a man. He took on flesh and He was perfect in His walking and living. But yet He died a gruesome death. He was buried in a grave. And on the third day, He rose again. And Paul wants us to make sure that we believe in that resurrection. Why? Because without the resurrection, Jesus' death means nothing. Without the resurrection power, Jesus' burial means nothing. Without resurrection power, there is no no life. There is no conquering of sin and death without the resurrection. And Paul says, it's important for us to believe in the resurrection. For if we believe in the resurrection, we will get the whole gospel. That Jesus really did live and he really did die a gruesome death and he really was buried and he was raised again on the third day. What we believe is extremely important. There is no gospel without the resurrection. Remember the film uh, probably in 2000, uh, Remember the Titans, right? Uh, it, was, it was depicted of uh, Herman, the coach Boone, Herman Boone. Um, in the backdrop of this film, it was in Virginia in the south uh, in about 1971. Um, there, all of the schools were segregated and uh, Coach Yosh was the white coach. He was a Hall of Fame coach, credentialed coach of this all-white school. Uh, and all of a sudden, the school brings in uh, this Coach Boone, who's a black coach. And now this black coach is having to coach both black folks and white folks together. And he's having to make them somehow, some way, do life together. And I remember his speech when he went before the team. He told them, I don't care who you are and I don't care what color you are. If you can play, you'll have a spot on my team. I don't care if you're black, I don't care if you're white, purple, or green. If you can play, you'll have a spot on my team. He's telling them, I don't care what you look like. Everybody who can play has a spot on my team. That's Paul's message to us this morning. That it doesn't matter who we are. If we believe in Jesus Christ, we can have a spot on the team. If our faith is in Jesus Christ, we can have a spot on the team. And I love what Paul says, that there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. And some would probably say, why do we always have to talk about race? And i got a lot of pastor friends who are pastors in multi-ethnic churches. And uh, we talk about Uh, Sometimes the responses that we get from people. Why do we always have to talk about race? Well, Paul talks about it. And here Paul makes it very clear. Paul says there is no distinction. And you know why Paul has to say this? That there is no distinction between Jew and Greek? It's because the people made distinctions. (laughs) And so he tells them that 
because of the gospel, under the banner of Jesus Christ, there is now no distinction between Jew and Greek. Yes, I know you don't like one another. Yes, I know you hate one another. But because of the gospel, you can do life with one another freely. And I call you to do that. And I would challenge us with those same things. Because of the gospel, there is no distinction between folks from different sides of the tracks in Memphis, Tennessee that have had broken relationships. There is no distinction between the wealthy and the poor. It shouldn't be. There should not be a distinction between those who are educated and not educated in Memphis, Tennessee. There ought not to be a distinction between those who are white and black, Hispanic and Asian. There should not be a distinction. Paul makes that extremely clear to us. He tells us that there is a place for all who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've got room for you on my team, Paul says. And lastly, we ought to see that salvation is good news to be declared. Salvation is good news to be declared. Look at verses 14 through 17 with me. It says this, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they, how are they to believe in Him of whom they have not never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And I love what Paul is saying here. How they believe if they have not heard. And I think this is Paul's way of saying to the Romans that he's writing to that I desire for you to go and share the good news that you claim you believe in. This is not just good advice, but it is good news. It is something that has happened and if it has transformed your world, you ought to share it and declare it to the nations. What does that mean? And, I, and I'm thinking about this text. And as I've been thinking about this text all week, um, man, even for many who believe in the sovereignty of God, even for many who believe in the doctrine of predestination and election, does that mean that this is for me as well? Yes. Does that mean that... Even though I believe that God is sovereign and control of all things, does this mean that I should be sharing the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes! This is not just a pastor's responsibility, but this is your responsibility to be a herald of the good news of Jesus Christ. If Jesus has genuinely transformed your heart and your life, if He has lavished His grace upon you, if you've received His compassion, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, what better way to show your gratitude than to tell others about Him? What better way 
to show that you are grateful? What better way to show that you are thankful? What better way to say, God, I thank you for, for marking me and for choosing me than sharing your faith with others, than sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The last verses are rhetorical questions um, Paul directs towards the Jews. And he says things like, in verse 18, But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. And he begins to quote the Old Testament. He says in verse 19, But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, who a foolish nation, I will make you angry. And then I love what he says in verse 21. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and to a contrary people. Paul's quoting the Old Testament there. And God is saying that I have literally pursued them so much so that I've held out my hands to people who did not deserve it, to people who were ungrateful, to people who were unwilling to submit to me. All day long I have held out my hands and they have rejected me. He's pursued them with the gospel over and over again. The reality that Jesus lived a perfect life. He died a gruesome death. He was buried and He rose again on the third day. God says, all day long I've held that gospel out to you. And you've rejected me. And I would say to us this morning, downtown church, have you responded to God's holding out the good news of the gospel to you? Have you responded to the reality that Jesus is God? That He lived a perfect life? That He was buried? That He rose again on the third day? Is that where your hope is this morning? Are you like the religious Jews who have gone their own way and rejected God's hand held out to them? Paul says the only way that you and I can ever come to a saving faith, the only way that we can gain righteousness is by putting our hope and our whole faith in Jesus, the God-man who raised from the dead. That's how you and I are ever to be saved from the proverbial HIV virus in us called sin. That's the only way we will ever come to saving faith. Do you believe in that Jesus this morning? Is your hope in that Jesus who has lavished His grace upon you and who holds out His hand to the sick and the weary and says, come? Is your hope in that Jesus this morning? Let's pray. Father, thank You that You are good. Thank You, Father, that You have pursued us. Thank You, Father, that You are sovereign and that You are in control of all things. Thank You, Lord, that You didn't just leave us sick and dying, but You provided for us a solution. You provided for us an answer in Jesus Christ. And You provided for us a way to get to You through Jesus Christ. 
And I pray, Father, this morning that we would put our whole faith and our hope in Jesus Christ this morning. That we would trust Him with every fiber of our being, God. God, that we would understand that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Help us to know, God, that that is the only way of salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.